God's people said? It's a great song. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Allison, Walter. It's good to have you all back. Your Bible's open this morning again to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and again, we're going to be looking at the last two or three verses of chapter 1, so if you want to turn and look there at those verses, I'll pick up there in just a second. Um, I wrote some stuff down, so if I don't read it now, I'll forget it during the course of this. I'll chase a rabbit and won't have time to do this. Um, It's interesting to me that um, in the Old Testament, thinking about what Robbie read, 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6, you know, I'm writing so you won't sin, but if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, but not only our sins, but sins of the whole world. Now, let me explain something about that. Propitiation means He bore the penalty, the punishment for sin. He bore our guilt and our punishment. But when it says He he was a propitiation not only for my sin or our sin, John says, but the sins of the whole world. Now, if you take that, like if you take it like John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, which meant that He just didn't love the Jews. He loved the whole world. Christ came to redeem the world. Israel was, was supposed to spread the good news to the world, and they didn't, so Jesus replaced them. So he died for people, so people can be saved all over the world. So when we think of him being the propitiation for our sins, and he is, that means he was punished for our sins, but also the sins of the whole world, well, that's talking about scope. And we'll look at that in a minute. But what I say, the, it's possible for anybody anywhere to be saved, but it's not saying that he's already paid the price for everybody's sin. Because otherwise, guess what? Everybody would be saved, right? That's universalism. We don't believe in universalism. And that's not what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 2. But it's interesting to me, thinking about what, what that I picked for Robbie to read, and we're talking about not only are we redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, so to speak, but we're, we're called to obey His commands. And if we do not obey His commands... John says, if we say we love Him, but don't do what He says. Now, he's not talking about perfection. He's talking about the pursuit of Christ-likeness. So, if we say we love Him, and we don't do what He says, then He says that we're lying about our faith. In the Old Testament, when God saved Israel, uh, as in when their name was changed, they're now... Uh, slaves in Egypt when God saved them out of Egyptian bondage, which is a picture of us being saved from the slavery of sin. When He saved them, He said this. He says, you will not do as they do. Now listen to to what the Bible says. So it's a command. He says this several times to the Jews. You will not do as they do. Leviticus 18.3 says, you will not do as they do. In the land of Egypt where you came from and where you used to live. Think about being converted. When you're saved, you no longer live like you used to live. Then he says, and you will not do as they do in Canaan. 
So when you go into the land and you get around other people, you're not going to live like those pagans. So you're not going to live like you did in your old life in Egypt, nor are you going to go into another land and and adopt their uh, false gods either. So you will not do as they do. Exodus 23, 24 says, You shall not bow down to their gods or serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow overthrow the idols and break their pillars into pieces. It's talking about tearing down the idols, the altars. Of course, today, a lot of those are not physical idols, but we are to tear all these idols down. Exodus 19, verses 4 through 6 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, a reference to the, the plagues, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenant, you shall be My treasured possession among all people. For all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me as a kingdom of priests, and you shall be a holy nation. And then He tells Moses, Speak these words to the people of Israel. Now what's interesting is because Peter says, and that was to the Israel. Israel, God was saving them out of Egyptian bondage and they were, they were to be a kingdom of priests as they went into Canaan land and they were supposed to tell all the nations around them about their God, the true God, the one and only God. Here's what Peter says about those of us that have been saved. But you are a chosen race. So now... You know, God has set Israel, and of course, this is a little theology here, but as we understand it, as a dispensationalist, we believe that God has set Israel aside. Uh, I believe the millennial kingdom that's going to come on this earth one day is literal. I believe Christ is going to return as king, is going to reign from this earth, and he's, his throne will be in Jerusalem, and Israel will be the capital of the world. And, and God, will, God will restore the glory of Israel, but that's going to happen in the future. But until then, He has set Israel aside because they rejected Him, they failed Him, they disobeyed. And Christ came and really replaced Israel. He's the new Israel. Everything Israel's supposed to be and wasn't, Christ is. That's what Christ means when He says, I am the true vine. Because Israel was a wild vine. And no good fruit. But in, in 1 Peter 1, Peter says this about those of us that are saved. But you, everybody everywhere that's been born again, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I love that. That, now why are we God's possession? He owns us. We read that verse earlier, 1 Corinthians six twenty. We are His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now listen to this. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are fulfilling what Israel failed to do. You know, we're the chosen race. We're the royal priesthood. 
And what, what is dead center and key in all of what we're doing is what we're learning in, in Ephesians, and specifically the last three weeks in Ephesians 1, that all of us together, saved, set apart, baptized into the body, uniting with a local church, we're not only called the church, right? Which is the word for called out. We are the called out ones, but we're also the body. We are the body of Christ. And so now God is sharing the truth of the gospel through us. And, and now, so our field is here first, then the county, the state, the nation, the world. But that's true everywhere where there's a local church. And this is God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel. But now, I want you to think about I think we finished with that out of Ephesians 1. You know, we are the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, at the bottom of our... Look at chapter 3. It's at the bottom of our little poster. There's a bigger one in the foyer. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. Um, and we'll talk, put it on our, our together, uh, together We Will board. Look at chapter 3, verse 21. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. The power that's at work within us. We're going to read about that again in chapter 1. To him be glory in the church. And, in, and, and almost exclusively it's about the local church. It's about me and you right here in this place. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Folks, now this isn't telling us that the church is going to be in existence forever through all of eternity, but there is a good chance that the work of the church like we're experiencing here will be present to some degree in the, in the thousand year reign. I love what Romans 8, 17 says, And since we are children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We have received the blessings that Christ earned. And I love that here. And then also John was big on calling us children. In um, 1 John, he often referred to believers as little children. But since we are children, we're heirs, heirs of God, and we're fellow heirs with Christ. That's a mouthful because Christ was the firstborn. We're fellow heirs with Christ, and we're adopted into the family through Christ. And because Christ, you know, the firstborn would get the, the larger portion of the inheritance. We've all, we've all been adopted through Him, so... From that, the symbolism is we all get the firstborn and we get the inheritance of the firstborn. Everything that God supplies, we're each going to get. Hebrews 12 says this, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to, an innumerable, and to innumerable angels in festive gatherings. I always think about the Psalm 82 about describing the divine counsel, how 
you know, it's more, it's more than just the messenger angels. There's all kind of angelic or supernatural beings that are assembled with God. We just know a little bit about angels because the Bible tells us a little bit about messenger angels. So we've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable angels in festive gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, into the spirits of righteous made perfect, right? And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks better than the blood of Abel. So this is kind of a prophetic text about the blessings of all who are going to assemble in, as the writer of Hebrews says, in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we're going to gather at Mount Zion with angels and, and all have the gifts of the firstborn saved by the grace of God. Let me tell you something I read this week. That I, I, I think about this, but I, I don't think about it. Um, when, when you talk about God calling the church and, and Christ calling us to be His people, my, like in the Old Testament... Israel was his people. I mean, he said that Abraham I've called. Basically describes this. He said, I'm going to marry Abraham. And, and there's going to be of him a great nation. They're going to be my people. And they were. And they still are. He just set them aside. But now in, in the new covenant, we're his people. But there's a great little text that kind of describes the dispense. Okay, like you have the old covenant and you have a new covenant. The old covenant, Israel and the law. The new covenant is Christ and His body or the church. What do, you, do you remember um, in, in Exodus, the book of Exodus obviously, the word means to call out. So God saved, He saved His people, the nation of Israel, went from being a, a family, Jake, you know, the sons of Jacob, to to a nation. He calls his nation or his people in the become a nation. He calls them out of Egypt, right? And and he calls them out of that slavery and then then leads them. Of course they fail and they have to wander in the wilderness. But it's interesting because in Matthew two fifteen it says in and Joseph after the angelic warning took the child and his mother by night and he fled to Egypt. And he remained there until Herod passed away, right? So he wouldn't kill him. And it says, This was to fulfill Hosea 11.1. Out of Egypt I called my son. Here's my point. The nation of Israel was called out of Egypt, became his people. Now, to fulfill Scripture, because Hosea 11.1 says the Messiah would come out of Egypt, that... To protect the life of Jesus, they went to Egypt by warning. So then, Mary and Joseph, after Herod died, were able to come back into the land from Egypt. And so Christ was a picture. He's the new Israel. And now Christ Himself came to save His own people. 
And He saves us, you know, through His redemptive sacrifice. But then after we get saved, we all gather together in local assemblies and He calls us a church. And then also He calls us many things, but He also calls us His body. Now, I wrote this and and then we'll get to, to Ephesians 1. I asked the question, has the church, our church, any church, all churches that are really churches, has the church been captured by the culture? It is a question that requires serious meditation and observation. The church, those who have been called and set apart unto Christ. Now, always think about that. The very word church means we're called and set apart. Okay, Called out and set apart. Sinners, each one of us, redeemed by His blood, delivered from the darkness into His glorious light, born again through the power of the incorruptible seed, and brought together into one body with Jesus as the head. That's what we're learning in Ephesians 1. That's who we are. It's tragic. But the church of God is slowly being rocked to sleep. Think of there if you're thinking Samson and Delilah. The church is being rocked to sleep. Looking for ease and comfort, we continue to see believers surrender to the power of the evil one. It happens every day. Think about the, the church has been, has been raped of its truth. A lot of churches do not believe biblical truth anymore. It says we are further harassed by the principalities and powers and the world rulers of wickedness, that evil forces that are out there. Have we lost our nerve? Think about this. I ask the question. Have we lost our nerve to be His body? Think about it. Have you, have I lost my nerve to be the body of Christ? Because if I am, if I'm the body, if I'm part of the body, then I am set apart. I am called out of the world. But I'm called out of the world and set apart to be ambassadors back to the world. And am I doing that? So when we, all that is to say, when you come to Ephesians 1, Paul begins to describe the work of the church, the body. The whole chapter is about this, the theology of what happens, not only how we get saved, but who we are when we're saved. So I want you to take that Bible and look at Ephesians 1 again. And I think I ended with this uh, comment. Matter of fact, I did it at the last minute. If I'm not mistaken, I mentioned this under his... So looking at your Bible, look at the little phrase. We'll kind of start out here in verse 22. Well, let's just pick up and look at verse 20, and I'll read down through verse 23. It says, uh, <clears throat> well, I can't do that. Let's pick up at verse... Uh, ...17. Okay. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us 
who believe. According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and He seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. Far above. I love that. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. Thinking about the thousand year reign, the life after, you know, heavenly world, okay? And he put, I kind of start out, pick up with here, excuse me. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Folks, there may not be a more profound statement about the importance and the prominence of the church in the mind of God than Ephesians 1.22. That this exalted, eternal God in human form, though He's majestic and authoritative and is above everything, and He will be forever, gives His name and gives His power and gives His salvation to the church. And again, it's talking about a local church. He gives it to people like us gathered together. But that idea of being under His feet, uh, I mentioned in passing last Sunday that the, the word shows up in military terms of when... Um, um, it means it has the word foot and the word press, and used in language of of war, like a conqueror. I mentioned it. So, uh, general, captain, whoever would win a battle, and a lot of times symbolically they would they they would press the neck. You know, they would step on the neck of the enemy, so to speak as a symbolism of their victory, of, of conquering this group of people. You know, Rome was always expanding their kingdom and conquering somebody. And so sometimes their kings, their military leaders would do this. And they would, they would, be, they would put the enemy underfoot. So Jesus puts all things... Under, he, is, he is the world authority. He is... He is the eternal and the world authority. So he puts, he puts everything under subjection. And then he says, besides that, he uses the word under his feet. Look what he says. It's kind of a, he, the word foot shows up twice. But he says, so he's put everything under, it says, all thing, he put all things under his feet. And then he, then he does something else that's related. And he gave him his head over all. Uh, the word head kephel there uh, could be talking about they anointed the head of Jesus. Uh, it could be, but it's mostly talking about the spiritual head that Christ is head, like a hus- Ephesians five. The husband is head of the home. Kephel uh, could mean uh, uh, master, could mean chief, main. Uh, it's the main leader. Uh, in building terms, it's what you would. It was a kafel 
the head would be the main cornerstone in a structure. It was the head of the building is what they would say. But Christ is the head. And of course, He passes that responsibility on. He calls the apostles are going to be head of the church. Same word. Husbands are to be head of their homes. Same word. So, he, so Christ is the master. But here's the whole point. He wants us to be His body. Now, let me, let me just share with you. You may not remember this, and that's okay. We spent two, this is three years ago, four years ago. I did a whole year on the body, the body of Christ, us being the body of Christ. I've got tons of notebooks and paper and handouts and all that in my office. But there's three things I said when you look at the word body, it's the same word for human body, you know, body, soma. So when you see the word body, when it's talking about the church, us being the body of Christ, there's three words that I always think about, okay? And they're not profound, but they help you understand what it means to be the body. There's three C's. And that has, I always use this when I think or in my mind when I'm reading about the body. Number one, when you think about being the body, us being the body of Christ, Christ is the head, everything's under Him. Number one, it's about conformity. That, and that's what the Bible promises, the ultimate not the only ultimate goal, but one of the end goals of salvation is for us, Romans 8, 28 and 29, to be conformed to the image of His Son. So if Christ is the head and we're His body, and we are, if you're saved and you're here, you're part of the body of Christ locally. And folks, this is why we, a little bit in Sunday school, I, I always am redundant. I'm sorry about that. But this is why your gifts, in, the gifts God, in, it's not about your DNA and your, your, your talents. You know, I'm a, I'm a certain way, you're a certain way because of genetics. And certain things, if you can sing, a lot of times your parents could sing, all that. I'm not talking supernaturally, the Bible says when you got saved, part of the Spirit's work was to gift you, not just to seal you, we're going to go back to that in a minute, not just to seal you for salvation, but the Holy Spirit gifted you. And, and at least one spiritual gift. Now think about what I'm saying. That when you got saved, one of the things the Spirit did, because, the, because Christ command, commanded Him to do so, He gave you a what we call a spiritual gift. And it says that gift is to be used in one place and for one place, the body. That's what it says. And it uses the word, every time it mentions this, it uses the word building the body or building the house, as it were the house of God. It's the word house builder. So, or And sometimes you've, find the word translated, sometimes it's the word edify or edification, which is a good translation. We build up the body of Christ. So we use our gifts, What if you have the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement, the gift of teaching, whatever it would be, the gift of mercy, the gift of discernment. You can read about these in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and there's several more because it's multicolored. But the point would be, the gift that you have, are you using it in the body? And at least one gift. Could, and usually, 
many of us have more than one. And, and many of us have more than one dominant one. We used to have two that are really high, but we're still gifted. But, but are, you, are you a gift? That means when you got the word gift is tied to grace. So the grace of God that saved you is the grace of God that gifts you. You don't earn it. He gives it to you, but, he, but if He gave it to you, you're responsible for it. And so you're a steward of it. So my point would be, when we're thinking about the church, the body, there's conformity, and he, He's equipped us to do that. So are you, are, are you working in the body? Are you using your gift in the body? And, uh, and, and honestly, if you're in doubt about your gift, Peter kind of helps us with that. It's good to know this. Uh, you know, there's, there's bunches of lists of spiritual gifts. But Peter breaks it down. Y'all know this. I've told it a dozen times. He breaks spiritual gifts down in two categories. And all of us can figure this out. We have one kind of gift that's called a serving gift. And then the all... And then so all, most gifts are serving gifts. All of them fall up under serving. Are you serving the church? Are you serving the church? Are you serving the ch- Christ and His church? Are you serving? The other one is speaking. Is that, and that's teaching. And so preaching. So there's two kinds of gifts. So most of us wouldn't have the gift of teaching. We'd have the gift of... So are you serving the body? It's, so number one, if we're the body and you're part of the body, conform to the... So when you see the word body, think about conform. Number two is if we're, if we're in the body, now who's the head? Christ. All of us are connected. All of us are connected. Right? The, 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 even the Bible deals with this in two places where it says, can the hand say to the ear, I don't need you, you know, some of the physical, you know, and any of us that have any kind of injury or, or struggle with some kind of, issue pain-wise with part of our body, we realize the difference between being, being hurt and, and, and or not having access to part of that and, and, and having it. Well, you're part of the body of Christ, and, and we may not be able to see it, but you're connected to us, and if, if we're not, all of us, if we're not functioning, if, if the hand is not doing anything, it affects the eye or the, you know, so, so we're connected. So, folks, here, here's what I say. Your apathy and my apathy, your disobedience and my disobedience, in some way affects the church because we're connected. You know, maybe, you, you, you may not believe this, and it's okay because you, you, you may not, but it's the truth. Do you know sometimes I'm up here and I could, I could say honestly, Somebody here is quenching the Spirit. Sometimes I get up here and there is a Spirit as heavy as I could cut it with a knife. I don't know who it is and what it is. Now, obviously, sometimes it's, it could be me. I could, Maybe my heart's not right. But not all the time is it going to be me. But I, there's, there's been many a time over 23 years that I felt like that there was an oppressive spirit almost attacking me as I, and somebody brought that in here. Had to. 
And it's not all the time Walter either. I mean, Walter's got a bad attitude, but it's not all the time him. But the point would be, so think about, so when, you're, when you come to worship, we're connected. And, and your, your spiritual condition, you know, and I'm not going to ant well, in some ways I am, but each one of us are our own stewards and are going to be accountable, but, but yet we are responsible for one another. And I've always wondered, you know, there's so much information about the church, it makes you wonder. I always wonder when we're judged, when we go before the judgment seat of Christ, because He can do it any way He wants. Will we go in, as an order of a church? I mean, how's God going to do it alphabetically? I don't know. Would He do it by individual bodies of Christ through history? I mean, that would make as much sense as alphabetically to me. I don't know, but I'm saying right now, there is an accountability. I mean, one day we're going to answer for our apathy, our disobedience, our inactivity, not using the gifts. So, so here's, uh, we're down to uh, 28 minutes, okay. So, so there's conformed, there's connected. And, and I say now, I change this. I, I, I say another C. Okay. So we're 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 conformed. We're connected, and I use this word cruciform or crucified. I use cruciform because I, I want to say we're shaped by the cross of Christ. So all of it, what drives me is what Christ did in loving me and dying for me. That the love of Christ constrains me, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. All of us are, are moved by the substitutionary death of Christ. That's why a cross is up here behind us. You know, and then the table of remembrance to remember what He did is in the front. So, so I'm, I, I, I'm cruciformed. I'm, I want to say cruciformed would mean shaped by the cross. So what Christ did for me is what drives me to want to, want to obey Him. See if you remember this. Go, go back to John 13, okay? When we think about the, the church, uh, go to John 13 and, and being the body and Him the head. Um, this, was, this was three. This was, after, this was after the body, the theme. I do yearly themes or two-year themes. This was after the body. This, this was the theme after the body was John 13. We even had shirts made up. Where, where's, uh, um, where did the Robbie's got a children's church? Okay. Uh, we, had, we had shirts made up that had the wash basin and the towel. Remember, it had the pitcher. And, and uh, April made me a... Where's April? Hey, April. Remember, you, you made me that hand towel that has a pitcher. Because our theme for a year was out of John 13 where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. So if, you want to ha- so if you're going to be shaped into the image of Christ, let me tell you what you're going to be. You're going to be a servant. And, and so, you know, this is, this is the, one of the last things Christ did uh, with His disciples. I mean, this is... A, this is the upper room. This is where he does the Lord's Supper. John doesn't do the Lord's Supper. John talks about 
him washing the disciples' feet. But just with your Bibles open to John 13, uh, I could read the whole thing, but we don't have time. But go to verse 12. I gave you three words, and I know, unless you're using the same Bible and you wrote it in your Bible, I don't expect you to remember the outline, but there were three. Also, there's three C's that were kind of in their own, they were on handouts and things in our, our classes and all that for a long time. Number one, I'm going to read in verse 12 in a second. Our outline was, if we're going to follow Christ, we're clothed in humility because it says that Christ took his outer garment off, and he put on the garments of, of the lowliest slave in the house. And he got ready to wash the disciples. So he's clothed. I mean, he, could have, he could have went in there with a, a, a crown on his head. He could have had angels come and do circles around the room and shout his name. He could have done anything. But no, because it's a picture of why he came. He came to empty himself. God saved you, and you're supposed to lose yourself for Him. The Bible calls it mortification, taking up your cross, whatever term you want. But we're clothed in humility. Christ took it, the form of a lowly servant. That's why uh, Paul, when he talks about this in Philippians, you know, two, uh, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not think equality with God was something to be held on to, but humbled himself and came, un, uh, came obedient unto death, even death on the cross. So he clothed himself as a servant. And so here he's doing that. So I, our little outline was clothed in humility. Uh, verse 15, well, let me read 12. When he had washed their feet and he put his outer garments, and I'm sorry, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, so he put his garments back on, by the way, when Christ got through serving and sacrificing for us, what did Christ do? He ascended back to the Father and put on the glory that He surrendered when He came here. Interesting. When He had washed their feet and put on His outer garment and resumed His place. Another, think about that. Did He resume His place? And, and well, He sure did. Matter of fact, the Father then exalted Him above everything, right? So He resumed... Uh, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He says, For I have given you an example. That goes back to the word conformed. Um, that word example is, is a living witness. Uh, you would almost say a placard that you could always see. But it's a living witness. It's the same word. Peter uses the same word. I'm sure he remembered the word from Jesus. He uses it in Second Peter when he's talking about uh, what God did at Sodom and Gomorrah was an example of His judgment. So, so, Christ, as, so it's conform, He gave it. Why did He leave an example? So we'd be conformed to it. So we would follow it. So it's about being clothed in humility, about being conformed to Him. And then the last thing, look back at verse 16. This isn't the only one. Because he's already said, why do I teach you? But he says, truly, truly, I say to you. It's about comfort. And the third one was being comforted by his word. Right? So the three things that we look to Christ as the head of the church, when we look to him, 
we, we clothe our, if we're going to be like Him, we clothe ourselves in humility. We follow His example or we're conformed to His will. And the other thing, we're come. He kept teaching them. And everything He taught them, they understood a little. So we're comforted by His Word. Listen, this is what the body does. These are the three things I'm doing now. We're all supposed to be clothed in humility. We're all supposed to be conformed to His will. We're all supposed to be comforted and led and instructed by His Word. Back, back to Ephesians 1. Now, I'm going to finish with this, but we'll have to pick back up. But I am going to get to chapter 2 next week, okay? I promise you. If you remember, I took, this was last week, week before, I can't remember when. But I want you to get, put your thinking hats on about who we are. In, in reading verses 20 through 23, I, I did an outline. And I said, talking about Jesus, unshared supremacy. I mean, if you read these words, uh, well, I, I know I'm over time, okay? I, I, I'm aware of that. But if you look at these words uh, that He's far above, I'm looking at verse 21. Look at your Bibles. You're going to learn something. It says, far above, okay, above the rim. It's the word outside of rim. I love that. Far above all rule. Okay, um, That's where we get the word archangel from that. Or arche as in the beginning of a structure, but the beginning. But he, he from all, he's he, he above all rule and authority um, and power and dominion. Now, let me just show you something that's interesting to me. So he's above every, and then he says above every name that is named. I think sometimes about those names, I think about all the heavenly, the cherubim and the seraphim and all these things that are described that are good, good, de- good, good parts of heavens. These, these, uh, these, uh, God, these angels, angelic beings that are going to be part of heaven. That maybe he's talking about. He's above all these things. That every name that is named, he's a, he's above it all. But, but when it says he's above, far above rule, just just say, just flip over to Ephesians. Look at Ephesians six real quick. I, I find this interesting. Ephesians 6, same book, Ephesians 6. Uh, but look, look at verse, uh, just for the sake of time, uh, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Ruler, same word, against ru- evil, ru- uh, wicked forces. Rulers against authorities, same, same word, those two are the same. Rulers and authorities. And then he says against the cosmic powers, which is interesting. Uh, and, and against present power. Anyway, cosmic power. But he begins by... You, three of the words are found in, in Ephesians 6. But if you're interested, cosmic powers... Are you looking at your Bible? So, rulers, authorities, and against cosmic powers. You remember... When God judged the nations right after the Tower of Babel, and He scattered them, and it says uh, in Deuteronomy 32 that He separated the nations 
according to the sons of God. That's what it says. And it's indicating that those sons of God were... He was probably making the reference to the fallen angels. I think that's who the cosmo craters are. It's the, it's the spiritual leaders that control the world. And we know that there's these entities that are over nations and people groups. You find that out from reading the book of Daniel. So there's evil forces. But I just love going back. Paul, knowing that, we could spend forever with that, but knowing that, he says he's, he's above absolutely everything. Uh, so he's above, he's above powers and dominions and above every name that is named. And then he says, not only in this age, but in the age to come. When I was thinking about the church, I, let me, I kind of got off. When I, so when I was thinking about Christ, we, I put down in my outline, there's nobody as supreme as Him. So I put, un, I put uh, unshared supremacy. Nobody's like Him. No angel. Nobody. The Father and Son, Spirit. Nobody's like Christ. As far as the exaltation. But then I came down to the church. Okay? And, and it says... It says he's he's ahead over everything, but then it says all thing he says he has gave him as head over all things to who? Who's he a gift to? He's Lord of everything. But who's he a gift to? The church. So when I when I was outlining this. I was thinking, okay, Christ has unshared supremacy. The church is unequaled. And so I came up with these words. They have an unequaled identity. Because Christ did not give Himself to anybody other than the church. Think how profound that is. He's the head. He's not the head of any other entity in the world. He's head of the church. He gave Himself to the church. And he says he's going to feel all in all by doing it. Incredible through the body. Feel all in all. So I, I sat down. Now think about this and we'll finish with this. It's going to, it kind of shocked me when I read this in the rest of the book. I read through Ephesians to figure out. So I put unequaled, unequaled identity. That wasn't good enough. Unequaled opportunity. Wasn't good enough. Unequaled in their calling. All those are true. But the word I found, which is found several times throughout the book of Ephesians, is because Christ gave Himself to the church, we're unequaled in our, this will shock you, in our unity. There's nothing in the Bible that says that anybody should be any closer, knit together, that thinks alike, serves alike, loves alike than the body of Christ. All through, we'll look at it next week. All through the book of Ephesians, he talks about the unity of the faith and the bonds of peace. That all of us have been united together by one faith, one Lord, one baptism. That we're one and all. We're one in Christ. So, yes, Christ is just absolutely... He has no. He, un, he does not share his supremacy, but the church is unequaled in our unity. And you remember what Jesus said to the disciples, the apostles. This is John seven. They will know 
that you are mine by the what? The love you have for one another. He prays in John 17, Father, I want these guys to be one like me and you are one. Folks, the church, because we're the body of Christ and Christ is our head, we have the privilege of having unequaled unity. There, there should be something about us that is not true about any other group of people. And we're glad to be a part of it. Amen? Let's try, let's say it, try that again or we're not going to stop. And we're glad to be a part of it. Amen? It's true. It's really true. Let's stand. We're married to Christ. We're the bride. We're His body. Incredible truths. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. and Thank You for Your grace and mercy. And Father, this morning, I, I do pray for those who might be here that hearing all this, they there's a realization that they have no idea because they're not alive in Christ. And though they may have a formal understanding of church life, they know they're not saved. They've never been born into this kingdom. So God, my, my prayer would be that you would, you would convict them, but you would keep them. And Father, I pray that they'll come back. And I pray next Sunday, Lord, that You'll save somebody. Above all, Lord, we thank You for the work of Christ in us and for us. Watch over us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's time to stop. Right on time. Whoever got the call.